This is Old Movies for Young Stoners, the podcast where cannabis is a gateway drug to classic cinema. We've got three-time Ms. Noir City, Audra Wolfman here today, and this, our ninth episode of season two of... Uh, Bob, 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 I, I, I hate to step in here, but how can we have a ninth episode when we haven't even had an eighth episode? What happened? Have you been eating too many of those cannabis Cheez-Its? Bob, uh, what the... What, it, please, uh, explain it. Well, well, first, guys, I, I did have COVID for a week and a half. My first time, first time having COVID, COVID-19, which is now probably COVID-2023. But, you know, we recorded the Barbie episode with Back to the Beach and Muscle Beach Party, and it was great. And it was our big, big Barbie episode. But then sag after went on strike. And Felina's a SAG member, so as I was editing the episode, for better or worse, I called SAG to ask if it was okay. I said it's, it was recorded on July 8th. They didn't care. They just said that's a struck work from the most struck company of all time. So if you, there is a SAG member participating, you shouldn't air it. So, so it's on the shelf. It will come out whenever the strike ends. So David Zaslov... Reed Hastings, Reed Hoffman, whichever one of the Reeds runs Netflix, I forget which one. You know, Jeff Bezos, pay the goddamn actors and pay the goddamn writers so we can post our Barbie episode when it's completely irrelevant. Pay the damn writers and actors. Bob Iger listens to our show, so this might work. Right? Yeah, yeah, he he loves our psychedelic Disney episode. He's, yeah. he's it's his favorite thing that we've ever done. But anyway, we've got a very, very jazzy episode to make up for it with Seijin Suzuki's psychedelic Yakuza noir, Tokyo Drifter, from 1966. And then, Roger Corman is back on the podcast with his 1959 beatnik horror satire, A Bucket of Blood, starring that cool, cool cat, Dick Miller. We've got one movie from Japan and another one that's so low budget it's public domain. I don't think that either of these films could be considered struck work by SAG-AFTRA, so we're doing our part to bring down the man right here on Old Movies for Young Stoners. And we're back on Old Movies for Young Stoners, the podcast that pairs pot with cult and classic films to enhance your trip through cinema history. We've got Greg Franklin of Six Point Harness Studios. Hey, everybody. And Corey Sklar from the Hollywood Punk Rock and Goth Graveyard Tour. Look it up on Instagram. Ahoy hoy. And I'm Bob Calhoun, author of The Murders That Made Us, A True Crime History of San Francisco. We'll have the Strike Talk report from Felina Franklin a little later. She's still recording things for us and still participating, so it's great to have her voice in the show. She's manning the picket lines with her SAG after brothers and sisters, and she's also looking it all up on TikTok. And Corey, we've got an amazing guest here today. Why don't you tell us about her? One of my favorite people uh, in, in all of the land. We have writer, director, actress, burlesque legend. I'll never forget seeing you do um zardoz burlesque it was amazing never uh, forget <laughs> host of the long-running 
cult podcast, Speak Easily versus the 80s, and also a host of the podcast, Retrophilia, and three-time and reigning Miss Noir City herself, Audra Wolfman. Hey, it's great to be here. <laughs> so good to have you. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank um, you. I'm excited, man. And, and, and like, what a, a, a catchy theme song. Can I just say? Oh. That yeah. is one Chalky fucking made that song. catchy. <laughs> of course, Chalky made that song. <laughs> I, I've noticed that Chalky and Corey are never in the same place at the same time. Weird, huh? It's true. Yeah. Well, that's how it is. It's it's the cape of invisibility. I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So if anyone ever needs a theme song out there, hit hit me. I mean, hit Chalky up and uh, yes. for. <laughs> But I'm so excited to have uh, Miss Noir City on. Uh, you know, Bob is a big Noir City guy. Bob, Bob, do you go every year? Oh, I, de- I mean, you know, it's several nights. So I don't go every night every year. I know people who do that, but I go to a, a many nights. <laughs> I, I, Rosie and I do get the passport for the whole show. I've been going to Noir City almost since Noir City started. I mean, I don't think I was ever quite aware in the beginning that it was its own festival. Like, I just, this Burt Lancaster movie is playing. Brute Force is playing at the Castro, so I would just go to it. But after a while, I started going all the time. So I've never been, I don't know that much about Noir. That's one of the big reasons I'm doing this show with you guys is to learn more about classic cinema. Audra, like, movies kind of start for me, like, in 1965. I don't really know anything before that. But I'm learning through this show you know and um i'm so i'm into noir now i'm a, I'm a noirsman and yeah. uh I'm, your I think life I'm gonna, is like noir you're like yeah. you just live it <laughs> i think CD. i'm going to go to my first noir city because they're having one in los angeles right bob soon yeah yeah noir city hollywood is happening from august 4th through the 13th at the arrow theater at 1328 montana avenue in santa monica eddie muller and the film noir foundation will be showing all kinds of amazing films you know they've got key largo sorry wrong number they've also they're also showing a night of noir westerns with robert mitchum and blood on the moon lady from shanghai is playing cry of the city naked city cry of the naked city even just all kinds of great movies (laughs) wow that's august 4th through the 13th at the Arrow Theater in Santa Monica. Then Noir City is coming to Chicago, Detroit, Washington, D.C. later this year. Go to noircity.com for more info. Um, and Audra, she is the poster model for Noir City. Three-time, three-time Ms. <laughs> Noir City, USA. And what are your du- what are your duties as Miss Noir City? Do you have to do charity for like hard luck dames or something like that? Or- <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I, I, uh, I have to carry a gun. Um, okay, okay. I have to get oh, into yeah. like really de- just just complicated romantic situations, and um, I I'm constantly scheming. But wow, I, those I, are some I also, pretty I just, interesting duties. Yeah, yeah, I know. And I want to point out that my jurisdiction is just over the Bay Area. My my okay. poster travels, but I do not. So yeah. oh oh, I probably won't be there hanging out. Okay, well I, I'm gonna I'm gonna walk by your poster and I'm like I know her everybody i want also i used to live in noir city but it got too gentrified for me so oh (laughs) now now, um does eddie moeller have a bunch of audra wolfman body doubles that he passes off as you as part of a an elaborate scam in noir city philadelphia noir city chicago etc it's actually a hologram 
I've uh, licensed oh, yes. my image. Yeah. <laughs> I play I play guitar, guitar, all everything on stage. It's now, it's now did Eddie agree to the SAG after demands for uh for digital images for for actors and performers? I wouldn't know. <laughs> that is that is an organization that would not have me as a member. <laughs> So Corey says that you're 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 definitely we know that you're definitely into classic films and noir and that you're also into weed. So what's a <laughs> what's a what's a memory of being really high and watching a classic film? Well, I actually haven't done this, but it crossed my mind when you were reading off the list of films that's going to be shown at Noir City in Hollywood. Do not get stoned and watch Sorry Wrong Number. Just don't do okay. it. All right. I'm going to go in stone cold sober on that one. Yeah. Yeah. Don't you you <laughs> jumping out of windows. No, okay. Well, sh- sh- uh, I mean, no spoilers, but wh- why? Why do you say that? Just so I, I know what the context is here. I, I know I've never seen this movie. I don't know it, is it is the most tense and yet okay. sedentary movie you will ever see. <laughs> Got it. Okay, oh. cool. Yeah. Thank I you. mean, have you guys seen it? Bob, Greg, I don't know yeah. if I've seen that one, um, but, you know, usually you know paranoia is a is the venn diagram overlap of noir and weed you know so usually it so it doesn't fit in that sweet spot it's well i don't know i'm one of those people that's just like anxious and paranoid all the time anyway so i have to be really careful about Mm -hmm. set and setting and dosage and all of that stuff you know i gotta stick to the indica you know calm I'm oh. with you. I'm with you. You know, sativa is like uh, makes me all jittery nowadays. I don't know what's happening in my body. My body's changing. I can't eat like bread anymore. Everything's messed up, man. You're a growing boy. I know. Yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> a- aging sucks. There was a point where yeah. I realized I couldn't <laughs> sure drink does. as I couldn't drink as much as I want to because I just can't eat as much as I want to. Like I was at I was at Val's in Daly City before it closed and it was like I was back to my old habits of eating like lots of bread and drinking bourbon and eating like steaks and stuff. And I paid for it the rest of the week. But I'm like, oh, this is how you could fuel like drinking like half a bottle of Jack Daniels is you just ate an immense amount of food while you did this. And I just can't do those two things. With a diet like that, you'd think you'd live in Noir City. (laughs) <laughs> i was just visiting just passing through yeah they <laughs> get some bourbon on the way out so how did you first become ms noir city did you have to fight a bunch of other dames in a pit or yeah it was lube wrestling <laughs> i just slipped right in um no uh actually i had been a fan I, I i'm just i'm just a nerdy film fan you know i was going every year and uh became friendly with eddie and bill selby who does the amazing artwork you see on the poster you know that's not just a, a photo it's 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 photo uh that that's enhanced with with um just his amazing artistry digital artistry and for instance let me just point out that dress I'm wearing, not red. It was blue. Whoa. So the actual dress is blue. Um, wow. So things like that, the magic, the post magic. Um, <laughs> what kind of digital trickery is this? Witchcraft. Complete witchcraft. Um, yeah, I was just like hanging out with those guys, talking movies, going every year. And, um, you know, eventually it just sort of dawned on one of them like, hey, well, you know, she's here anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get it. 
Are you a devoted fan of a TCM? Are you are you a TCM maniac like we are over here? Uh, I don't have cable. But yeah, no, then that's going to stop you from 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 being a TCM maniac. It really is. It really is. <laughs> but there, there's a lot like... of shenanigans going on over there. I don't know if oh. you've heard all about, about this. Yeah, I've heard a little bit about the back end of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We 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 want TCM to keep existing, and uh, it's an uphill battle right now. So things 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 are things are crazy in the entertainment world, as you as you know. Things are things are wild out there. That being said, the movies are back, people. The movies are back. The theaters are packed this weekend. Everyone's up in there for Barbenheimer. Yep. Greg, which one did you choose to see this weekend? Oh, I'm uh, the WGA and SAG are not calling for a major boycott of uh, entertainment, but I am. So uh, <laughs> I am I'm joining not you. Going I'm to, joining I am, you. I am not going to be seeing Barbenheimer. Um, I'm already a little iffy on on both projects. Um, they're me both too. pretty I'm, morally dubious, if you ask me. So uh, yeah, I've choose I choose none of the above. <laughs> uh, Greg is so punk. I love him, and um, yeah, I'm joining you too. I'm all barbied out, and I haven't even seen the goddamn thing. You know, I think I got COVID from seeing Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, and uh, that's mm-hmm. like just where it lines up. Where my wife got it, and then I got it a couple of days later, probably from her. That was the thing we did, and it's like, damn it, we should still be wearing masks in those places. The movies are back. Yeah, and, and we instead of doing the thing we've been doing for years where it's like, let's go to this 4.30 showing of Mission Impossible because there will be less people there. We did the, let's go to a, a packed showing for audience reaction and, you know, to enjoy it more, to enhance our enjoyment. So I think that's where the COVID came from. Um it enhanced, all right. It enhanced. It, it, <laughs> it sent me to like several days of just laying in the bed with the Pluto Classic Westerns TV channel on uh-huh. and waking up, falling asleep to an episode of the Wild Wild West and waking up to an episode of Tombstone Territory and just like not finishing oh my or, God. or beginning anything, just this constant loop of of. TV westerns from the fifties. Uh, uh, your 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 esophagus was like the tunnel with the big boulder coming out. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, uh, Audra, I never saw any Godzilla movies before I started doing this podcast, and now I'm I'm a full on hardcore oh, Godzilla yeah. fan. And Pluto, speaking of Pluto, Bob and everybody, Pluto has just added a Godzilla channel where they have all the Toho mm. classic movies. They're showing the Hanna-Barbera cartoon. Oh, I've been, shit, that's on yeah, there too. Wow. I've been having this thing on 24-7 in my house just <laughs> in the background, and God, Godzilla movies are awesome. I love Godzilla. He's so cool. Um, I think my favorite one I've seen so far is the Smog Monster yes, one. Yes, that's trippy. my favorite too. It's so trippy. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, it's got the club have... scene, all the Yeah, there's a musical, there's a psychedelic yeah. musical number in it. It's incredible. And there's an animated scene in it, Greg. Oh, wow. That's yeah, great. We're going to have to feature that on Psychedelic Kaiju too. We did a, We somehow did a Psychedelic Kaiju episode without that. But I'm like, let's hold uh, Hidora, the Smog Monster, in reserve for... For mm-hmm. later, because we did. Thank you. I didn't people. know his proper name, Hedora. Thank you. That's yeah. Right. <laughs> Isn't that a Joni? Is that a Joni Mitchell album? <laughs> That's the one Jaco Pastorius is on. Yes. <laughs> Felina's not here, so we could talk about Barbie and we could talk about Indiana Jones and Pluto, which is CBS Paramount. So since she's not here, we could talk about these things. But if in practice, for if she is here, I think we need to do more weed news on the show. 
than stick to weed news. And uh, according to Lester Black at SF Gate, that's he's the weed reporter at SF Gate, um, a pop brand quietly backed by Gwyneth Paltrow is dominating California. So California's legal weed market is in a bad place. Prices are plummeting and sales are declining and most people expect things to get worse. Yet somehow, Gwyneth Paltrow appears to be overcoming the terrible odds and is quietly dominating California's cannabis market. Yes, the same actress who made headlines selling anal sex toys for Father's Day appears to be one of the only people winning <laughs> California's tumultuous cannabis industry. So the, the thing goes on. Well, good, good. You know, good for Gwyneth. She really just came up out of no, nowhere or nothing. You know, she didn't have she, she just pulled herself up by the bootstrap. She didn't. No, she's a nepo baby. Who cares? This is terrible. And also, don't buy, don't buy Gwyneth weed. What are you guys doing out there? Why? Um, I heard it's vagina flavored. Okay, no, I'm ordering it right now. <laughs> you know that could get that could get a married man like me in trouble. It's like, you know, What's you smoke smell, you smoke honey? her vagina. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Bob, you smell like pussy. You know, it's just something you don't really want. Wow. Think, think of all the lesbians getting in trouble over this too. Uh, smoke it. Um, I think the brand is called just Can C A N N. So if you guys see that out there, mm. I think we've discussed the brand on here before because I think they have drinks and me and bob are like these drinks did nothing for us yeah so, yeah oh. it's like it's just mm. it's just like goop it's like um you know snake oil mm. weed it's not real she's an early investor in can with two n's c-a-n-n -N. Mm -hmm. and the report based on data analytics from headset estimated paltrow's weed brand is seeing over seven hundred fifty thousand dollars in sales a month no other celebrity brand came close to Paltrow's sales, with her nearly doubling the sales of Seth Rogen's houseplant pot brand, her wow. closest celebrity competitor. Well, uh, according to Twitter, Cheech and Chong gummies are dominating everywhere. I, they're everything. legal. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what, about Jim, what about Jim Belushi? I, you oh, know, yeah. Like, he's got a big, big uh, yeah. brand. He's House of Blues. Yeah. House of Blues, Blues Brothers weed Ugh. um i'm gonna <laughs> say like okay another another little item from the thing paltrow's weed drinks are also outselling pop brands from mike tyson carlos santana and even justin bieber i gotta wow. get that santana weed i didn't know about Fuck that santana okay i'm gonna find this and i'm gonna dose with it <laughs> I bet they saw it in the next mission. episode yeah does it pair with albums that he's you know, he recommends? <laughs> yes. yes. I, I want the Abraxas weed drink. Yes. Yeah, that's a good one. I, I, you know, I, I always say that if you hang out in the mission long enough, you're going to meet a, a percussionist from Santana eventually. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. That's so good. Can sells cannabis infused sparkling waters in flavors like blood orange, cardamom, and grapefruit rosemary. I'm telling you, I, I've 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 housed a six pack of these things. They do nothing. They yeah, well, it nothing. says here, in Lester Black tells us it focuses on small doses of cannabis, with each serving containing as little as two milligrams of THC. Pot's most common intoxicant. I wonder if Apple oh is uh, drinking those things. You know, the the <laughs> Apple Paltrow. <laughs> you know, but hey, Lester Black. You know, I I invited him on the show. Said if he ever wants to come on. And uh, talk about Busby Berkeley musicals. Um, he, and he <laughs> tweeted back at me that he doesn't watch movies. So, <laughs> what? Oh, I, I don't trust. I don't trust people like that. I don't listen to music. Uh -huh. I don't watch movies. You know, <laughs> I actually, I actually found it a little refreshing because San Francisco used to be full of people. I don't watch television. 
I don't watch mm. that. And that, there was like that intellectual snobbery. And then like AMC and HBO convinced us that watching TV was like reading novels and just as good as reading <laughs> with Mad Men <laughs> and Deadwood and stuff. So everybody's like, yeah. oh, oh, I'm watching. They would watch it on their computer. They would watch it on their MacBook, but they wouldn't have a TV in the house. But I'm kind of refreshed that this guy's like, nope, don't watch movies. Nope. Not yeah, that is it. funny. Like, I don't watch movies. All right. Yeah. Well, you're not invited on the podcast. They think today. he's well, better than us or something. <laughs> like, what's, what kind of stance yeah. is that? Well, I oh. mean, his articles aren't behind a paywall, which is half the reason we read his stuff on the air all the time. So, <laughs> okay. Fair, fair. Thank you for the free content, Lester. <laughs> Thank so, you so much. So could, can we have a Gwyneth Paltrow episode where we watch her films paired with her? weed sure uh, why is that not? is that <laughs> is that gonna happen bob what like hard eight in iron man three <laughs> shakespeare in love yes. yeah shakespeare in love where she shows her tits uh-huh. yeah. oh god we she, watch shows that her, she shows her tits in that <laughs> i mean it's a wine it's a weinstein film so oh, oh yeah we shouldn't watch that i always think that the shakespeare in love guy is the same guy as the passion of the christ guy but he isn't right oh jim caviezel he's in the news right, right, right yeah, now yeah yeah <laughs> He's gonna, I, was, oh, he is. I went to see I went to see Sparks and they might be giants at the Hollywood Bowl uh, last wow. weekend. And um, you'd think this crowd, this crowd was very, you know, progressive, cool. The lady behind me would not stop talking about this, how great the sound of freedom is. I'm like, are you kidding me? She's like, this movie's going to be a game changer. They're exposing child trafficking rings. It's going to be amazing. I was like, can you shut up? And this was like while Sparks what? was playing balls. You got to have ball. You know, I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> so funny. So funny. But like, I think um, <clears throat> I don't know if you know what this movie is, Audra. It's the new Jim Caviezel right wing like grifter movie. <clears throat> I don't think people are as online as I am because like I know I know all the grifters that are producing this movie. It's starring, it's starring Jim Caviezel. And, um, but yeah, I think people just think like, oh, wow, there's is this. this the, is this the QAnon movie? It's the yeah. QAnon movie, yes. Okay. And it's yeah, doing right. really good numbers in the theaters right now. Movies are back, baby. No, No, but they're astroturfing that movie. I saw uh, yeah. um, a, a piece about how people are going to these sold-out shows, and there's nobody in the theater. Oh, like, they're amazing. just buying the tickets. Um, but a lot of a lot of TikTokers, you know, are are uh, are showing up. Um, they're buying tickets for other films, of course. You know, they're not buying the the QAnon tickets, but they're popping in those theaters and checking it out. And maybe like, we should oh, all go know, see it. Like- it. Sounds like a cool movie. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, that's how like Ann Coulter and just about every right winger like has yeah. like gets on the New York Times bestseller list. Is these um, these right wing think tanks and foundations buy just massive amounts of their books. They don't really sell the way my book does. They probably sell less copies than my book, which is saying a lot. Uh, you know, the- I, I love your book. I mean, oh, thank you, thank you so yeah. much. Uh, thanks for reading. You've been um, Tom Guido in there at the end, man. Oh yeah, hardcore SF. But yeah, it's such it's such a tragic story. Tom Guido, he ran the Purple Onion, and it was a very like garage rock club. And my band Count Dante played there a few times and it was always an experience because if he didn't like your band, he would get on stage and start berating the band. He never, (laughs) he he liked us, which was surprising because we weren't really sixties enough. We were more like seventies and I would wear these, uh, sequin karate robes and do kicks and stuff. And then later on, Tom told me that he was at a party and somebody was annoying him, which happened to Tom a lot. And he started kicking the guy and I'm like, Oh my God, I'm inciting Tom Guido to violence. Like he was like, because of you, I did this thing. 
and uh, nice. he he was uh, murdered by a friend of his mm. in a murder suicide in the Tenderloin. Uh, they were both uh, living in this apartment building there through or an SRO hotel through a North Beach nonprofit that was helping homeless people and people who had fallen on hard times. And uh, this uh, his friend was going through some really really terrible shit and murdered Tom and and killed himself. And it was just a really sad way for Tom to end. He was uh, definitely a fixture of the San Francisco music scene for a long time. Total legend. Total legend. Mm -hmm. Uh, His club, uh, Purple Onion back in those days, I know Greg was probably there a lot. Uh, Oh, yeah. It was a lot like our first film, Tokyo Drifter. It was like as close to Tokyo Drifter as reality could get. So we'll talk about that in a bit. (laughs) Did you ever go to the Purple Onion, Audra? Um, I was uh, just a tiny bit too late, but um, I happened to be married to someone who was in a band, many bands that played there. Brett Stillo, he was in the Flakes and Count Backwards. Crime, the new he was in the later mm. Crime lineup, and then a later Crime lineup. Yeah, yeah exactly. Brett, and Brett's a legend, music legend too. <laughs> Greg, did you you played the Purple Onion with the Mutilators, correct? Uh, that yeah yeah many times many times, and uh, I I remember dropping off flyers and hanging out with tom in the in the you know before anybody showed up and he the he he liked us you know and he said that we were heavyweights and i don't Ooh. know if he meant that literally uh, <laughs> but you know, uh, i took it as a compliment nonetheless i never hung out at the purple onion but i did hang out at the yellow door they have these great sculptures there have you guys oh, seen the it? yellow door <laughs> yeah we'll, we'll get to yellow door later <laughs> And the book is The Murders That Made Us, How Vigilantes, Hoodlums, Mob Bosses, Serial Killers, and Cult Leaders Built the San Francisco Bay Area. You can find out more about it and me at MurdersThatMadeUs.com. We've talked about my book. We've talked about Noir City. But Corey, you have a screening coming up. Please tell us about it. Thank you, Bob. Yeah, uh, my last plug for my uh, sleazy beach movie series I'm doing at Whammy Analog Media right on Sunset Boulevard and Rampart in Echo Park. Audrey, you got to check this place out. It's so cool. Um, They got a micro cinema in back. I'm showing my third and final sleazy beach movie on August 10th, and it's going to be Last Resort starring Charles Grodin, another Roger Corman produced movie, Phil Hartman, Mario Van Peebles, and I'm going to have the director, Zane Busby, in person. She is incredible. She's from, she's the real fucked up lady in Muppet Smoke. She's in Spinal Tap. And, oh, uh, wow. She, yeah, she's going to she's gonna come in person, the so I'm really that, excited. That does the Donald Duck. Yeah, uh, she's the thing. Donald Duck. Yeah, that's her. <laughs> August 10th. August 10th at uh, Whammy Analog Video, 2514 Sunset Boulevard, Los Angeles, California. Come and say you heard it on the podcast, and I'll give you a free joint or something. I don't know. <laughs> Visit whammyanalog.com for more info. That's whammy with an H. Nagare hate nai tabi ni dete. Itsu ka wasureta Tokyo no. Tabiyeten no watashi no wagomo desu. Tamatte dashitte kudai. Kyou kara Tokyo mushiku no tetsutte sharukomimasu yo. Otoko 
1966, Seijin Suzuki took the Yakuza genre that he helped popularize and gave it three hits of pure LSD with our first film. Tetsuya Watari is Phoenix Tetsu, a mob enforcer, who finds that loyalty may be prized in his culture, but it's seldom rewarded. When his old Yakuza boss, Karata, played by Ryuji Kita, goes straight, Tetsu does as well, but the pair are quickly dragged back into the violent underworld that made them through some nearly incomprehensible real estate deals. The plot may be standard crime drama fare, however what Suzuki does with it is anything but. The movie opens in high contrast black and white, but shifts to vibrant color. There's music, jazz, rock and roll, 60s bubblegum pop, and haunting Japanese torch songs. The pursuit of Phoenix Tetsu by Hitman takes us from vibrant Tokyo discotheques to a stark, snow-covered countryside with a stop in a totally incongruous Wild West saloon for an epic brawl that pits gangsters and prostitutes against loincloth-wearing sailors. The execs at Nikatsu, Japan's oldest movie studio, were totally baffled by it when Suzuki screened it for them. But the movie boasts a fervent cult following today that includes John Zorn and Quentin Tarantino. This is Tokyo Drifter. Okay, Audra, um, you've seen this movie before, correct? Oh, yeah, I have. Um, and in, it's incomprehensible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I, <laughs> oh, I'm not alone on that. Okay, thank God. I thought yes. I'm really stupid because I try. I'm like, what is happening? Yeah, no, repeated viewings, and I still don't really, really know like the details. But the it's about broad strokes. This movie, you know, and it's, it's, about, it's about the visuals. It's a vibe, it's a vibe, movie, it's a vibe right? yeah. totally. And I mean, the general structure is that you know it's somebody within the yakuza trying to get out. You know, it's sort of like. I mean, we have these movies in in America as well. You know, I got you know it's one more one more heist and I'm out. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. like it keeps drawing me back in. You know, it's mm -hmm. it's got that sort of drama to it. But um, there's just so much detail happening, uh, inner interpersonal stuff happening in the beginning that I I gotta say, like um, I got real lost. And um, weed isn't gonna help. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> You know, Greg, have, had you seen this movie before? No, this is a totally new movie for me. Uh, I fucking loved it. Um, I had a total blast. At a, at a certain point, I realized it was way too high to comprehend what was happening. <laughs> and I just gave in and laid there like a fucking log and watch, let this movie just wash over me. Uh, every once in a while toward the end, I'd try to... I would, I would, I would go like, so what the fuck just happened? Like, did he beat them up? Is that him? Like where, what's go? It's almost like, like breathless or something a little bit where it's like crazy cuts, uh, where you are expecting a Western sort of payoff, but it goes new wave. It also has like a, I don't know, for lack of a better word, like a, like a, like a Russ Meyer vibe or something sometimes where it's just super colorful and 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 super cool. I don't know, you know, like this is this is should absolutely be a foundational uh stoner movie. We say it, you know, all the time, but this this kind of thing is what the podcast is really all about. I I I 
didn't know going in anything about it, so I tried to keep up with the incomprehensible plot. But if I could go back in time to right before I watch this movie, I'd say just enjoy it. You know, just just lay back and uh, don't don't try. <laughs> just just let it just let it go. Uh, it's it, it's awesome. And I love the stylized uh, fighting stuff like that was so like I, by that time it gets to the end and there's this incredible fight scene that is probably one of the least realistic fight scenes. And that's saying something, uh, you know, like it's it's so stylized and so wacky, like it it makes Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon look like a documentary. You know, it's like so, um, so absurd and fun. Um, so for those reasons, a hearty thumbs up for me. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you guys as far as the um, uh, the confusion goes plot wise. <laughs> I like and, I, and it really hit me <clears throat> in the beginning when um, there's the woman who is reading the comic book and then she she just oh. she slumps over. And I, I had to watch that like 10 times. I'm like, wait, where did she get shot? And then I realized, oh. But that that was the point where I'm like, I'm not going to rewind anymore. I'm just going to let it wash over yeah. me. And I didn't understand a goddamn thing in this movie. But I, too, <laughs> I too loved it so much. This has to be one of the coolest movies ever. Top 10 coolest. And I mean cool in the Miles Davis sense. Everyone's wearing yes. the coolest clothes. Everyone has the coolest hair. The music is so cool. They're lighting cigarettes and looking. Smoking is cool and it's back, people. Smoking is awesome. You know, after when you see this movie, um, and the music, yeah, the musical yeah. numbers are amazing and the set piece, the set pieces galore. There's early in the movie where there's a nightclub scene and he's like going under the nightclub and crawling through it, and the dancers are above him and the mob, yeah. the mob boss is over here, like, and it's it's like this weird M.C. Escher esque puzzle that your brain yeah. figures out while you're watching. That's so crazy and cool. So yeah, I I'm with Greg and Audra on this one where go in, not expecting to follow story or get emotionally invested, which that kind of is, is not a good thing for the movies. Cause I, I wish I, I, I cared about the characters a little more, but um, it's okay. You know, it, it doesn't matter. It has, it's so interesting. It's from 1966 because when I was a teenager, post Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction, every movie was trying to have this quirky, fast-paced mobster thing. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Right. And, um, and this one has that, like, has that, like, has that, like, 90s crime uh -huh. uh, uh, vibe about it, you know, where it's, like, everyone's saying cool stuff. And, uh, uh, but, but this one is just, like, beyond, beyond, beyond uh, style. I, I, was this a hit when it came out, Bob? Do we know, or, or was it? They, they made a sequel to it, but like the studio just didn't understand it. Now, what I will say is besides the obvious 90s influence with Tarantino and other filmmakers, it's obvious a lot of people were watching this on video um, in Hollywood back then. But if you watch it, it's a movie that Audra requested, but it wasn't really streaming anywhere, which is Point Blank with Lee Marvin, which came out a couple years later, like... I think John Borman, the director of that, who also directed Excalibur and other things later, I, I you know, you watch that movie and it's like they they definitely were aware of Tokyo Drifter when they made Point Blank. What do you think of that, Audra? Knowing yeah. both films, highly influential, you know, and mm -hmm. and and to to Chalky's point, um, it it reads like like music videos, like a, a series yeah. of music videos, kind of like melded together, and I think a lot of that has to do with Suzuki's limited budget that they gave him they're like here's a short leash you know and so he had to use these limited sets and uh colored lights 
to create sort mm -hmm. of texture and depth and as if they're in new situations, new new sets. And it does create this kind of uh, surreal uh, milieu of like, are they all in the same building? Like, you know, you got these right. people that are like with this like <laughs> Grecian or Roman sort of like, you know, art behind yeah. them. And but then there's the club, the dance club, and then they're under the club. And, you know, and, and it's kind of like the MC Escher point you made. It's, uh, you know, like this world is just so crazy and surreal and um it's that limitation that made it historic that made it legendary you know with with filmmakers like quentin right. tarantino and influenced the 90s and music videos going forward i really like that i really like that music video uh comparison there yeah it really feels like early mtv in a way that's really interesting that you say that the sets were limited that MC Escher set had like a glass floor where the dancers were under that I noticed. And I was like, that's very specific. I, I was like, man, they must have had some kind of budget to make to create this because there's no way a, da a glass dance floor is OK. You know, yeah. like f either for the people falling through it when it breaks or for the people underneath it that are looking up at uh, up all the girls' skirts when they're sitting there, you know, like <laughs> that's what it's really it's, for. <laughs> it, that's what, it, yeah, that's what it's for. But it's dangerous for all parties. Tap, um, tap plastics, so I, Ray. <laughs> tap plastics. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. There, there is a great, there is that Inside. great later Columbo episode where Columbo goes to a rave and he finds a dead body underneath the glass dance floor. By the way, they must have stolen that from this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh. I think I think we all right. both you both you mentioned like or, or alluded to their the final shootout which is like in this crazy room all white room with like Roman columns in it it's it was very exhilarating that uh that shootout for me and um another thing yeah. that, that another point in the movie that knocked me out is uh the mu music is used so well in this movie and and the the hero has a theme throughout the movie and then at one point he starts singing his own theme and that knocked me out. I'm like, okay, that's really cool. Yeah. Diegetic. I don't know what the word is. I forget what it is. But anyway, uh -huh. the, he takes, yeah. the, he, he takes the, 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 the soundtrack and then he brings it into the world of the movie. And I kind of like lost yeah. my breath a little bit during that scene, even though I didn't know what was happening. Sadness, sadness drips from my fingertips. Yeah. <laughs> Woo, that was wow. heavy shit. The lyrics Woo. are, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I like a man. Is this movie a musical? Like an Elvis movie is, yeah. Yeah, because there are Elvis bits where the music is playing and he's singing along. Mm -hmm. And the mm -hmm. other characters react like, damn, his singing or whatever. Like, his singing revives him. Like, it's like Popeye with spinach. <laughs> That's right. Oh, okay. See, I might have to rewatch this movie. One thing I have to, have to, have to state about this movie is this is one of the stoniest movies we've ever watched on this uh, podcast. This movie is mm -hmm. so old and so stony. Uh, I gave it stony factor 10 out of 10. So if you want to watch an old movie that's good for stoners, this is the one to watch. As weird as Tokyo Drifter is, his movie two years later, Seijin Suzuki's Branded to Kill, 
is even stranger and it's got lots of like crazy wow. sex scenes like nudity and sex scenes and uh the protagonist is like has a fetish for rice the odor of rice and demands the women start cooking rice and he just hovers over the rice cooker smelling the steam coming out relatable. of it relatable i get relatable. it yeah yeah i get it too uh is that one more comprehensible plot wise <laughs> i i don't think it really is but what, what's funny about these movies is suzuki isn't writing his own scripts he's just he's getting scripts from Nakatsu and they're just these standard Yakuza scripts mm -hmm. and he was producing these directing these movies for a while and it's like Nakatsu had a kind of B-movie mm -hmm. assembly line for these things and his earlier Yakuza noirs are totally great and they're a little weird but they aren't as weird as this and it's like him rebelling eventually like I'm tired of just directing the same movie over and over again so yeah. I'm going to make it really strange and Branded to Kill was you know they were already like after Tokyo Drifter they were like this is too weird you have to stop doing this and he goes even farther and more kinky and more subversive and branded to kill and it ended his film career until the yeah, 80s. Yeah they fired him. Yeah. <laughs> oh really? Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. That's a sad end of this story. Guy should be her heralded as a as a Orson Welles of Japan or something. Oh yeah. I guess Orson Welles <laughs> oh, his story yeah. didn't end that uh, nice either so never mind. He was a Tokyo drifter after that for like 13 years or 12 years, just wandering the Japanese countryside, singing his sad songs. And then in the eighties, he made a trilogy of movies. That's also on criterion that really watch all of them. You know, I mean, they're all like, I really love youth of the beast, which is earlier and it's still weird, but it's not like as out and out weird as branded to kill or this movie, but definitely watch branded to kill you guys. I mean, I was doing a coin toss, but I decided to go with, this movie because it's got the cool music and it's got the vibrant color where branded to kill is stark black and white and we've we've done with wages of fear and touch of evil and the hitchhiker we've done a lot of stark black and white movies this season so i i thought we needed a kind of more red shoes type color going on thank you thank you for uh bringing this movie to my attention bob it was a knockout yes. it was awesome yeah branded to kill actually was shown at a noir city oh wow 2019 maybe I think so that, it, you know, bring up the, the topic of, is this noir? Ah, yes. We're looking at a postmodern pastiche, but is it also noir? It is the guy trying to get out of the life. That whole thing. He doesn't really, and he's betrayed. It's got very noir, noir themes. I don't really want to give away mm -hmm. too much of the movie. If you can conceive of it, if you can comprehend it. But yeah, it's got the betrayals and it's got the twists and turns and it's got the the inability, like they try to go straight, but they're still running discos and things. And I'm like, I'm just not sure you can go straight and still do those things. And Karata, the, <laughs> yeah, the right. boss and, and Tetsu find out that maybe that you really can't. I guess with the with all the color and the style, you know, there's that term ne neon noir that you hear every once in a mm -hmm. while. Yeah. People yeah. like to use it and like talk about drive, drive you know, movies yeah. like that. And uh, Thief. Right. This is better than that. <laughs> this is, oh God. Yeah. Like, this is the origin. I feel, you know, it feels like this movie takes a lot of things and just like puts them in the blender. You know, there's a little bit of noir. There's a little bit of uh swing and sixties. Cool stuff. There's a little bit of this over the top action. Like, I don't know, man. Like this, this movie has it all. It really does, except, except a for a coherent line. plot. Yeah, <laughs> except, char except characters you care about in a storyline. Otherwise, it has it all. Yeah. <laughs> now, Corey, what kind of weed do you recommend with Tokyo Drifter? 
Well, I uh, am really into these Cali Clear disposable vapes right now. Um, they're on sale for $20 at every dispensary in California. So uh, look for those. If you're listening in another state, I'll ship them to you. Just hit me up. But um, wait, that's illegal. But I <laughs> I smoked a Alien Cookies uh, disposable vape. The intergalactic adventure to find this scar strain might be a long one. However, it's a quest that leads to an out-of-this-world high. Alien Cookies is a perfect 50-50 hybrid cannabis strain cultivated from crossing uh, Alien Dog with Girl Scout cookies. And it made me giggly, it made me buzzy, and it made the colors really stand out on my television. <laughs> so I... Uh, I like these. I like these disposable vapes right here. And it was it's a 50-50 hybrid. Nice. I mean, any weed's going to be good for Tokyo Drifter. Mm -hmm. Being sober is okay for Tokyo Drifter, but mm -hmm. enhance your viewing uh, experience with a little bit of alien cookies, I say. Okay, Greg. I went with the um uh the sativa on this and I would probably Ooh, interesting. Uh I would probably not do that again. You know, it was it was the lemon cake it was totally my favorite kind of weed uh that kind of rocks on your head like what's going on and and that wasn't necessarily the best for trying to decipher uh anything next next time i might go for like the what i used on the on the next film um which was a pretty heavy uh uh indica uh dominant strain but um that's what i would recommend is something that is going to knock you on your ass and just let this movie happen to you wash over you i want to watch it again and take the te all 10 milligrams of a luchador gummy for this yes. that's one of my favorite things <laughs> it's just still getting the covid's had kind of a long tail for me i was afraid that if i had a luchador or some other edible because like trying to smoke through a pipe is just killing my lungs still right now but i i'm afraid it just put me to sleep i'm i'm like 80 percent or 90 percent now but a couple days ago i was still like 75 percent there so so yeah luchador yeah. gummy those are great great cannabis infused gummies i've mentioned them on the show before that definitely like like greg's experience with it it makes you feel like you've taken mushrooms or acid or something i i think that would be the way to go it's for heavy this. Audra, any any weed thoughts on? Well, you already had some weed thoughts, but in the future, any other weed thoughts on Tokyo Drifter? For me, it's like tread lightly, you know. But I have you guys had these like these gummies? They're called wild gummies. W yeah, W-Y-L-D. -Y yeah, yeah. yeah. So they're, they're, I love there's those. one that's like super super heavy in CBD and a little THC, and for me, that's like enough to just relax and uh, let it let it happen. Great suggestion. <laughs> Great. Go with I, the flow. High CBD, low THC gummies would be awesome for Tokyo Drifter. Excellent yeah. suggestion. You know, COVID brain fog is awesome. I save so much money on weed nowadays. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I had the Paxlovid because I'm an old man, so I'm hoping like not to have the brain fog as much from that, and it's why I put up with, uh, not to go too much into it, but maybe people are interested it gives you this really terrible raspy taste in your mouth while you take it for five days mm. it's like really awful and i ate so many ding dongs and drank like i don't usually drink like a <laughs> high fructose corn syrup coca-cola but i was just like you'd wake up and you'd like have to just slam a coke or a ginger ale to chase that taste away and just eating hostess ding dongs it was like the only thing that could kind of make it tolerable <laughs> cleanse the palate wow. with a hostess ding dong Ding dongs, man. Ding dongs. I lost weight at first, but once I was on the Paxlovid, I probably gained weight because I just <laughs> ate nothing but like massive. It's I, like I was eating like a stoner. I was I was eating massive amounts uh, of sugar. Yeah. 
Doritos. You'll end up eating just really, really bad for you junk food if you take the Paxlovid, folks. Uh, you know, now yeah. now is probably a pretty good time to get COVID and take Paxlovid because the volcano menu is back at Taco Bell. That's right, baby. Oh. And so, <laughs> okay. Fun fact about the volcano menu is that it was originally <laughs> developed. It was originally created as a tie-in to that movie Congo with like Tim That's Curry right. and Bruce Campbell and I think Ernie Hudson's oh, in that. Uh, Mad wow. Zoller Sites talked about the movie a bit in his episode because he says it has the best animatronic gorillas in any film. It's a Michael mm, Crichton gorilla probably. movie. Mm. So they 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 made that to tie in and it is back, folks. And hopefully uh bring back Congo. <laughs> bring that, you know, you're you're gonna yeah. movie production is salting, it's ceasing. So put Congo in a goddamn drive-in or something. I want to see it again. That's the movie where everyone has that implanted memory that they see uh, a gorilla with a machine gun, right? <laughs> and but like the scene does yeah. not exist. Did Michael Crichton write this? <laughs> yes. <laughs> he did, I thought right. that's that one, yeah. Where's Tokyo yeah. Drifter streaming, Bob? <laughs> way off topic. You know, I'm going to leave all this shit in, too. I'm not going to be yeah, my no usual. This is what makes podcasts good. We, we lost an episode to the SAG after a strike. We're going to go a little long here. Fuck it. Okay, Tokyo Drifter. Tokyo Drifter is streaming on Criterion Channel as part of their Seijin Suzuki series. If you like this one, definitely check out the other Suzuki movies they have made available, especially Branded to Kill, You Won't Be Sorry. This is the Strike Talk Report with Felina Franklin. Hello friends, stoners, old movie watchers, and young people. I, as many of you know, have been a SAG actor for many years, and as to not endanger my status with the union, I'll be taking a little break. Hopefully no more than a few episodes, but hey, we'll see if these asshole billionaires will actually give writers and actors a fair share. It's a major bummer, and I'm gonna miss you all, but just know, I'll definitely still be getting high, probably just for the picket line, but hopefully an old movie after. With that being said, TikTok definitely knows about the strikes. One thing I do love about the platform is that it promotes really awesome and informative videos about a super large range of topics, from dinosaurs all the way to the current strikes. Here's some highlights. Fishbone is Red Hot 3.0 found a video of actress Kamiko Glenn getting her royalties from her 44 episodes of Orange is the New Black, where she shows... For all of those episodes, she only received $27.30. That is something I relate to very hard uh, as an actor. I usually will get uh, pennies to maybe even, if I'm very lucky, like $2. <laughs> Metal Chop Chop says, those are royalties, not salary. Big difference. Royalties typically are not much, especially at that level. Stephen Blanco says, Royalties are not typically that little either. And with more context about streaming services, people are not getting what they deserve. And that is so freaking true. Thank you, Stephen Blanco, for putting this asshole in his place. But here's another asshole. Mike92089 says, I worked at a movie theater as a teenager. I guess I should get paid for every bucket of popcorn since I worked there. Someone replies, does the work you did at a teenager still generate revenue for the theater? No, but the actors, uh, but the actors don't either. No new subscriptions are being driven by Orange is the New Black. It's not about subscriptions. You don't know how it works, so why do you even comment? 
Why so eager to take the side of the billion dollar corporations? Purple Stain 94 says, and she got naked on screen. Actors should be getting paid far more royalties if they're getting naked on screen. So true. Skylar Hook says, this doesn't show the period of the royalty payment or actual salary. Dot, dot, dot. Completely misleading. Um, Skylar, shut up. Gavillan23 says, pretending is a very bad career choice. But so is commenting on TikTok. Get a real job, chillin' like a villain 23. BuzzFeed now also joined in on the fun, showing how many actors are getting involved with the strikes, with names from Nina Dobrev of Vampire Diaries fame to Natasha Lyonne, my personal favorite and celebrity crush. Hen and Maple says, solidarity forever. And D Zoodle said, purr, all caps. Taylor Swift lover also said, and what are they achieving? Girly pop... We just want to be able to get paid and be able to have full-time jobs. Okay, lastly, my personal favorite video was by The Hollywood Take. Here's the tea. Universal Studios were completely heartless and cut a bunch of trees along the sidewalk where people have been protesting, giving them absolutely no shade. If y'all are in LA right now, you know how hot it has been. It has been a major struggle, honestly, just to get into my car, let alone walking for hours. The city of LA looked into the situation and found that Universal Studios did not get a permit to cut those trees and are now looking at an $1,000 fine for each tree that had been cut with no permit. I honestly love it and it feels like instant karma. Joseph Sean Bernard says they would rather be fined for destroying trees than actually paying their riders. Yeah, yeah, they would. Patricia says, tree law is no joke. And that it is not. And my favorite comment by Dubo Bear, we are the Lorax, we speak for the trees. Again, it is such a bummer that I'm not going to be in the next few episodes. But if y'all want to come pick it with me, I'll smoke us out beforehand. Until next time, take it away, Bob. This has been the Strike Talk Report with Felina Franklin, a regular feature on old movies for young stoners until the studios pay the fucking actors and writers. Of goons and ginks and company thinks and the deputy sheriff who made the raid, she went to the union hall. When a meeting it was called I will talk to you of art For there is nothing else to talk about For there is nothing else Life is an obscure hobo Bumming a ride on the omnibus of art Burn gas buggies And whip your sour cream of circumstance And hope And go ahead and sleep your bloody heads off Creation is What is not creation is Graham Crackers. Let it all crumble to feed the creator. The artist is. All others are not. A canvas is a canvas. Or a painting. A rock is a rock. Or a statue. A sound is a sound. Or is music. Creature is a creature or an artist. Where are John, Joe, Jake, Jim, Jerk? Dead, dead.
dead. They were not born before they were born. They were not born. Where are Leonardo, Rembrandt, Ludwig? Alive. 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 They were born. In 1958, San Francisco Chronicle columnist Herb Cain coined the term beatnik to refer to the black turtleneck and beret-clad poets and artists who frequented North Beach coffee houses. Now this subculture had existed before Cain's quip, but writers such as Jack Kerouac referred to themselves as the beat generation, or just the beats. But with this new cute nickname, the subculture was ripe for parody which came in 1959 with this horror satire directed by Roger Corman and written by frequent collaborator Charles B. Griffith. Another fixture in Corman's filmography, Hollywood everyman Dick Miller, is Walter Paisley, a dim-witted busboy at a beatnik hangout called The Yellow Door. When Walter accidentally kills his landlady's cat, covers it in clay, and passes it off as a sculpture, he becomes the scene's new artist sensation. Soon, Walter moves on to human figures, and his killings become far more calculated as he strives to maintain his coolness and woo the art girl of his dreams. Also featuring Anthony Carbone, Bruno Visota, and Burt Comby. To quote this picture's pompous poet, ring rubber bells, beat cotton gongs, strike silken cymbals, Walter Paisley is born. This is A Bucket of Blood. Audra, you chose this movie for us today. Uh, why don't you tell us about sure it? Sure did. <laughs> <laughs> this movie is my happy place. This is like one of my absolute favorite movies. And it is a perfect film. You know, it's like yeah. it's like an hour long. Yeah. It, it is efficient and economic. You know, he 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 made it in five. Sorry, he Roger Corman made it in five days for fifty thousand dollars, not a penny more or less. You can tell. <laughs> and also, it's probably the best example of uh, my favorite genre: beat exploitation. What what else? What else fits uh, in the beat exploitation genre? Um, a really good one would be High School Confidential. Oh, Have you seen that one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got the the beatnik poetess uh, played by philippa fallon and oh my god the the poetry is just fucking amazing it's like i had a canary who couldn't sing i i, I had a cat that let me share the pad with her i bought a dog you ate the cat who ate the canary what is truth so good so good i i feel like roger corman roger corman really has a disdain for these people you know what I mean? Like it, it could, it's 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 palpable through the film. Like he, I don't know. You see Roger Corman movies, and they're just like kind of like these workhorse movies. But I feel like he was uh, really connecting with the material here, or something like that. You know, this is a yeah. little venom, a little venom there. Yeah. yeah. Well, we gotta credit Charles B. Griffith for that a little more than Corman. Like uh, everything I've read in. Uh, Roger Corman, An Unauthorized Life by Beverly Gray, which has been sitting on my shelf for 30 years, and it's coming in <laughs> handy a lot on <laughs> working on this podcast. Wow. Corman, Corman isn't a funny guy. He didn't really get the jokes. He had to have the jokes explained to him by really? Griffith. Griffith, like, and the funny thing is, is, if you watch, like, other movies, other Corman movies from the 50s, 
with Dick Miller, like in Not of This Earth, Dick Miller does this whole really funny improv vacuum cleaner salesman bit where he's trying to sell this alien imposter a vacuum cleaner and he goes through the whole thing and he's not really doing yuck yuck jokes. He's just kind of playing it and even maybe playing it straight, but it's hilarious. So all these little kind of funny bits are inserted by Griffith, who who wrote Corman movies from like the 50s, from like these 50s, like he wrote Attack of the Crab Monsters and he wrote this and he wrote a uh, little shop of horrors and he also wrote the script to death race 2000 in the 70s so all these kind of satiric corman movies are really the product of griffith but what i will say about corman's direction is him directing it straight helps the humor and he also right. has an eye and an ear for exploitation and for pushing boundaries so he he's totally in line with that, but him making everybody just do these kind of very, like I think a lesser director would have had it more like wink at the audience, yuck, yuck. And it would not, it would be torturous. It'd be one of these kind of bad movies we'd talk about where this is brilliant because it's played totally straight. Now, Corey, had you seen this before? No, this is my first time viewing oh, it. Yes. And it, was, <laughs> I, it was, as everyone on earth is, I love Dick Miller when he pops up. In movies, Gremlins, Rock and Roll High School, Chopping Mall. And this is all Dick Miller. This is Dick Miller, Dick Miller, Dick Miller, this movie. And so I was in heaven watching him chew up the scenery um, and do this kind of awesome heel turn throughout the movie. You know, you really are sympathizing with him in, in, in the beginning. He's like, oh, this poor guy. Everyone's all these fucking douchebags are treating him like shit. And then, you know, then he really turns to a, another type of character. And so that was very fun watching dick miller act a lot and play a lead and uh i wish there was more of that and i'm so surprised to hear about roger corman not being funny because this movie's hilarious it's like so funny that one the one beatnik poet guy with the beard who reads the bad poetry that guy's so he gets funny. winded he gets, he gets winded gassed in the yeah the i mean the actors scene. must have understood <laughs> the jokes and stuff because they're they're very funny in this movie um and uh -huh. yeah this is again stony factor 10 out on this one like it was it's it was a good one two punch this week with these movies and the, another yeah the jazz the jazzy soundtrack too which i'm sure is from like seven other roger corman movies but um yeah you know the folk music. yeah there's those two live live yeah folky moments oh right the folk stuff, yeah. there's like a, yeah. a russian folk song in there even you know, yeah. amazing little slice of life Maybe not quite as much as Tokyo Drifter, but it's almost a musical as well. Explain yourself. Well, just, just there are these, like, there's this long folk song, you know, go down, murderer, go down. It goes on for a while. In the beginning segment, the poet segment that opens the movie with the sax and everything, it's a musical segment. And there, there are almost these musical numbers. Now, Dick Miller doesn't break out into song in it. And no, it's it's a musical the same way that Inside Lewin Davis is a musical. You know, it's part <laughs> of the story. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Did you yeah. say did you say Burt Convy is in this movie from Super Password Burt Convy? Yes, he yes, he is, he is. He's he's just one of the beatnik burnout guys. He I think. So he, he's the oh. narc. Yeah. Oh, he, oh, he that's is right. That's right. He's just a cop murdered, dressed he's like murdered, a murdered man. The this this 
This, yeah, that's he's it? murdered man. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, um, murdered so man. yeah, for the people <laughs> listening, this movie is very little shop of horrors esque, and it's about a ding dong, a, a dumb, a dimwit who is a busboy at this really cool, yeah, like like a beatnik cafe called the Yellow. I said it earlier, the Yellow Door. Is that what it's called? Yes, that's what it's called. the Yellow Door. Everyone is cool as hell in there. They all look like uh, Maynard from Dobie Gillis and, and yeah. berets and smoking cigarettes, and and I think everyone's supposed to be on heroin. Horse, Dick Horse. Horse, yeah, Dick Miller. Uh, it's very okay. Here's the plot. I mean, it, it, it's, it's, it's just real quick for the listeners. Dick Miller uh, wants to make a sculpture for this girl he likes. He, like, he kills a cat by mistake, so he just puts the clay over the cat, and everyone loves it. He's like, he is the new uh, art wonder kid of, of of the nation. Someone says, I am honored to know this man. A man stands up in the middle of the Beatnik Cafe and makes a speech about how he is the, the, the new great artist. So he has to keep, much like Little Shop of Horrors, he has to keep killing to make this great art. So um, I noticed that it's a very good setup. It's a very good setup. In that, yeah, and it, you know, and Corman, I, this is the first time I had ever seen this movie as well. Wow. Um, I have never, just, it just, it, it totally eluded me, this movie. Uh, throughout the years, um, and I'm so glad to 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 see it now. I did notice that it does have that kind of nebbish, develops a murderous hobby that solves all of his problems temporarily. That that plot too, but there's also a little bit of other pieces of Corman's, you know, like his Poe movies. You know, this guy totally telltale hearts himself. You know, with this guilty voices of his victims that come back to him, Good and. And 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 so you get there's there's a lot of it of his uh, his go tos kind of converge in this film. Um, it's so funny. I was I was stoned when I saw this, but this was a little bit of an outlier for me because earlier in the day, my wife wanted to go out, and we went down to Cloverdale and saw a band called Shiny Ribs at the Cloverdale <laughs> Plaza. And during that uh, during that concert, I had four IPAs. So <laughs> I, came, I came back after that and and watched this and got really stoned after that and watched this. And there were times when I was seeing two Dick Millers, you know, <laughs> wow. like going around the screen. Lucky and double your pleasure, <laughs> double your fun. <laughs> the way that he kills the cat is accidentally kills the cat is one of the most bonkers things that i've that i've ever seen just the way that he (laughs) manages he doesn't even need like a stud finder or anything to find (laughs) that just stabs the wall and then he's like oh let me check and cuts a giant hole which he could have I could have done, done that. To get before. the cat out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the cat is somehow then, trapped in the wall. Don't know how that happens, but it happens in this. It's so bonkers, man! What a great film. Thank you, Audra. Hey. I, I now have uh, had a, a good no. No more excuses. Sit down and watch this fucking movie. It's only an hour. It is cinematic perfection. I think um, it's much better than yeah. Little Shop of Horrors too. I, like, it is. I, I think it's. Oh, totally. Horror. I think it's Roger Corman's best film and little shop of horrors came right after this. It's like they're before the intruder, which was Roger Corman's very serious turn with William Shatner as a racist. It is in the (laughs) premiere episode of old movies for young stoners. If you want to go back to our very, very first episode, but they did little shop of horrors after this and they offered the role of, um, Seymour 
to Dick Miller. They wanted Dick Miller to do it. And he was like, I don't want to be that guy in every movie. <laughs> I'm happy yeah, that I'll just yeah. play the guy who hangs out in in the flower shop and eats flowers and puts you know, he has a shaker of salt and he eats them and he's just this character kind of hanging out in this flower shop in the movie. And he was happy yeah. to do that. And he was happy to do that for the rest of his career. And he yeah, he just didn't want to play these kind of terrible nerd characters, murderous nerds. So. Well, ironic, <laughs> ironically, it became an inside joke in the film industry because there are multiple movies after this, including Chopping Mall, where Dick Miller's character is often called Walter Paisley. Oh, oh wow. Yeah. Thank you. I never knew uh, that. Yeah, there's like <laughs> at least five movies. I mean, he's, he's, wow. he, he, this movie is, it wouldn't have been as enjoyable if it was any other actor in that league. Oh, no. He's, he's it has really, to be him. No. He's really, really great. If it was a comedian, they would just stay funny throughout where Dick Miller, this, this movie shows how good he is because he turns from being this bumbling, bumbling nerd to this total psycho. And there's this switch yeah. halfway through the movie where he's got this malice and yes, amazing performance from him. Yeah. Amazing early incel energy from Dick Miller. <laughs> I want to say. Oh, yes. Yeah. Well, yeah, totally. He goes from, from like worshiping these, these beatniks, these, these pseudo intellectual, you know, are uh, do nothing, you know, philo part-time philosophizers. He goes from, from worshiping them. But when he, when he dupes them so easily with his scam, it's almost like he has contempt and wants to just, kill them all right yeah like it's 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 it, he really gets into the psychology of this character which you're right bob a comedian probably wouldn't have done yeah um i do want to point out one other thing is that i think it's some of even though it's the budget's way too low but that helps it in a lot of ways but um it's some of roger corman's best direction i love these kind of ec comics frame shots where um who is it it's anthony carbone who plays mr desantis which is really funny to me because that it's is like, funny <laughs> yeah dick miller's always like mr desantis and i'm like man i wish ron desantis and his desperation <laughs> would go beat nick and start wearing a beret <laughs> and Lynn. He, he's 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 very good in this too he, he owns the yellow door and he realizes that the sculptures, the Walter Paisley sculptures are dead things with clay over them. <laughs> but these art dealers keep offering him hundreds of dollars and he gives like Dick Miller 50 bucks out of 500. So he's taking a huge agent's commission. So oh, he yeah. can't stop. He can't, he can't no. rat himself out or rat out Walter Paisley. He just goes along with it because so much money starts rolling in. Well, that but, 50 uh, bucks goes a long way with him. Yeah. He, yeah. he comes oh. back with like a Zen stick. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That carrot, that oh, with the plunger and the crown, oh, it's amazing. But like when he, when uh, Walter Paisley reveals murdered man in his apartment, and mm. it is uh, Burt Convy with clay over him, and and his head split half open, and it's like there's this big old gash in his forehead, and it's all covered up in clay. Uh, the framing, it's like you, it's like an over the shoulder shot from Murdered Man, uh -huh. and like. 
Barbara Morris as as Carla and everybody's all elated to see it like oh my god what an amazing piece but then uh Anthony Carbone is in the background Mr. DeSantis and he's kind of staggering against the wall all aghast because he knows it's a dead guy he knows who it is and he's just all plat you know it's like there's a lot of shots like that in the movie where it's like it's the beauty Mm -hmm. of single framing which now they would just do a lot of cuts or Maybe if Roger had more money, he'd do a lot of cuts, but it looks like an EC Comics frame, like a good Lord choke frame in this movie over and over again. Wow. Yeah, it, there's definitely some filmmaking chops going on here. Like that 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 whole thing, and that's almost a noirish situation, you know, that you kind of mentioned where he can't, why, why can't he profit off of this murder if it's already happened? You know, like, so he can't stop it. For such a low budget corny funny film it's just it transcends all of those things by just being great yeah well said (laughs) i first saw this movie at the roxy theater in the 90s and i was doing like poetry reading and spoken word at the paradise lounge and the casanova at the time and it was a screening of of movies and sam arkoff was there the producer the american international's picture chief And he was talking about it, and I can't really remember specifics of what he said, but he said, Roger Corman has cheap genes. And what he meant was like G-E-N-E-S. And it's because he's like, he's just the cheapest guy I've ever met, and that's why I love him. And in Teenage Caveman, we had a scene where the Teenage Caveman kills a deer and Roger got this old stuffed taxidermy deer out of an Elks club. And it was very unconvincing, but it saved us a lot of money. And, you know, Roger's just the cheapest guy, but being in that nineties kind of spoken word beatnik revival, and then seeing this movie, it was the most hilarious movie I'd ever seen at the time. And I, Oh yeah. I have to recommend, if you have the chance to see it at the New Beverly or the Roxy in San Francisco, or if Kai Wada shows it at the Balboa Theater, <laughs> like definitely see good it. Shout see out. it with an audience. I mean, as good as it is watching it at home when you're stoned. If, if you can't see it in a theater, invite friends over to watch. See it stoned right. with an have, audience, though. Yeah, have a pot party. Have four IPAs. No, this is this is this is a movie that is enhanced again, like Tokyo Drifter. Cannabis is good for this movie. So, Audra, how do you feel about this movie and weed? What weed would you smoke with this movie? Well, you could say the wild gummies again if you want to. Wild gummies. No, I I also like those, you know, care by design, CBD, THC one to one ratio ones, you know, because I just I want to be relaxed and I want to enjoy it. And I want to say along with him, I want to say, like, I called it dead cat. You know, I I want to, like, remember (laughs) the lines. I'd we like got to do like a Rocky right. Horror thing where we act it out in front of exactly. the Exactly. <laughs> and if I'm too stoned, you know, I might yeah. I might be in I might be in there covered in clay. I don't know. I mean, the, <laughs> the one time I got like way too way too high and watched a movie was just a few years ago and it was uh, Thunderdome. Mad Max? Mad Max Thunderdome Beyond Tina Thunderdome. Turner. I was like waiting for the Ewoks to come out. <laughs> yub nub. Y- yeah, I was waiting for the yub nub action, but instead it's like those little weird kids came out and oh, I was like, the where's the Ewoks? I, yeah. I-, I was just, like so confused. So I try to like refrain from that kind of experience because totally, I, yeah. no, I want to enjoy gotta... the art. You gotta make no, and I'm very happy that you remembered all the beatnik poetry because I that was. I was laughing my ass off over all of that stuff. And I think that character, 
Bob is maybe an early Count Dante inspiration. Oh, oh, definitely. The, because the, I, the I, beard. <laughs> I saw this movie probably at the Roxy before I started doing the Count Dante success seminar thing. And yes. Yeah, no, definitely. And he kind, I kind of look like him now. He's got the yes. beard. It might be a fake beard. Julian Barton as Maxwell <laughs> H. Brock. He is the pompous poet in the movie and like the guy who dominates the scene. Oh, I definitely yeah. like when I created Count Dante and started doing all that stuff, I definitely, and it's chronicled in my book, Beer, Blood, and Cornmeal, my incredibly strange wrestling years. I definitely wanted to be that guy. Like that guy's a, <laughs> yeah. he's a cautionary tale in the movie, but me in my early twenties, like thinks like, I want to be that asshole poet who just dominates <laughs> yeah. the scene mansplains right. shit to everybody that's what i thought was the cool <laughs> thing to be in my 20s you mentioned your count dante years the 90s do you know this movie was remade in the 90s have you seen that no. I, I haven't version? seen it but i realized that when i was researching it now how is that remake oh it is weird it is really really <laughs> weird and it didn't need to be made you know but it also no. it, it knew it didn't need to be made <laughs> like they just okay. made it because like for fun it seemed like i mean there's like david crosses in it you know oh, it's wow. just like oh, wow. so ran anthony michael hall is the star you know it's it's it's, it's interesting oh, wow. it's interesting and paul bertel like i mean it's it's basically like character actor heaven in a way but i feel like like the nineties was the time for that movie because of, of the whole like slam poetry, kind of like the, the live poetry. So I married an ax murderer. Yeah. You know? yeah, exactly. There's a scene in this movie where after Walter, is that his yeah. name? Well, after Walter makes the, the first cat sculpture, dead cat, this lady comes up to him so horny because <laughs> she's like, you're, Naomi, you're a good artist now. I want to F you so hard. And he's like, uh -huh. oh, I can't, you know, my landlady doesn't let me bring over women. And she's, I mean, this is what every kid who think every guy who thinks he who starts a band thinks it's going to be like after they write their first song. And it's just like that scene. <laughs> and, and then but it's also, it's also the thing in your twenties where you fixate on some, this is a guy thing where you fixate on some woman who's impossible for you to attain. And, and then, then the one the woman yeah. right there and you blow her off. And, I know. You know, it's like when you're in your 40s, you realize like, that's such a good scene, like yeah. meta metaphor for like she's yeah, right there. She's giving she's giving you horse. Yeah, she's you holding know, like <laughs> she gives him heroin because she likes him so much. I mean, and she says something like my prana burns for you or something like that's some what kind she of said. Yeah, that what a line. Walter, you've done something to me, something deep down inside of my prana. I have. What a line. So that, anyway, I just had to point out that amazing scene. There's so much going on there, like from like just like Freudian stuff. It's really good. Oh, totally. And and it's it's it's, you know, part of the plot because that's how the, the cop follows him home is like he saw the little drug pass off. Very good so. writing. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah I'd be I put this in, in the pantheon of things that hate beatniks and hippies with um we are only in it for the money by frank zappa these two things right. go together really well <laughs> yeah uh greg that's uh, true what did you smoke after you drank those four ipas at the cloverdale <laughs> cook-off I, I i i smoked granddaddy purple beautiful uh, that's that's what i had which is probably not a great mix i probably I probably should have switched up the weeds for this week. You know, I should have had the granddaddy purple for Tokyo drifter and done the, 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 the big, um, sativa for a bucket of blood to counteract 
those four IPAs that were uh, coursing through my veins. Um, but I wasn't so messed up that I, I didn't notice things like, oh, maybe Martin Scorsese was influenced by this film for the after hours uh, covered it, covering in paper mache things, which I really thought was going to happen at the end, that he was going to make himself into a statue. That would have been a better um, ending, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it was kind of absurd because those guys were right on his tail and he would have needed hours to do that. <laughs> yeah, Dick Miller talked about that, and that's one of his disappointments yeah. with it, is he was like, it was done a little too quickly and a little too cheaply and he wanted to become you know them to make a sculpture of him like the others right. and they just kind of threw some clay on his face with him hanging barely hanged man yeah yeah it's a punchline yes the movie ends with the punchline <laughs> as it should Yes. Corey, what what what's your weed recommendation for a bucket of blood? Well, I was uh, I I, I want to suggest a indica heavy an indica dominant hybrid, and so I was looking around at indica um, dominant hybrids that were for sale around me using Leafly.com, where you can see all the popular strains in your local area. And I saw one here called Papaya Cake. So they have <laughs> Papaya Cake in the movie, and there is a weed strain. There is a weed strain called Papaya Cake. Papaya Cake Beautiful. is a hy hybrid made from a genetic cross between papaya, wedding cake, and white OG. It's 23% THC. It affects, includes giggliness, relaxation, and hunger, which I think is perfect. It features tropical mango and apricot flavors. While you're watching Bucket of Blood, any weed will do, but I highly recommend mm. papaya cake. It makes me want to have a weed-infused papaya cake. Like an actual one, yeah, you know. And at the yellow door, they had uh, papaya cheesecake, actually. That's right. Oh, that would even be better. But they're always complaining. They're complaining about the food at, at the oh, yellow they, door. It wasn't Must, good? They, they say that the food sucks. There's a, <laughs> I didn't know you know, they, they're, they're, there is a line in there where, like, the two guys with the Confederate soldier hats are complaining. <laughs> uh, those Junkies. Key, <laughs> those guys yeah, are they so say good. The food sucks. So, okay, a bucket of blood is available through Canopy, a free streaming service available through participating public libraries. Ask your librarian about Canopy, Corey. And the movie is public domain, so you can also find it on archive.org and just about every other streaming site out there. Is every is every print of this in color? The print I saw was in a weird color. No, Amazon. this is a very, very black and white film. All right, so avoid You got colorized. Yeah. Avoid everyone avoid the um the the Amazon Prime HD because okay. it's a weird colorized version. And I I, oh I I'm gonna rewatch this in black and white. I think I'll enjoy it more. Uh, Audra, like, uh, th it's so good to meet you. I mean, I, I've, we've been running in concentric circles for, for years now and I've seen you around, but I've never met you before. So it's, it's great to meet you finally and finally talk to you. Yeah. And thanks for coming on old movies for young stoners. Uh, do you have anything you want to plug? Do you have anything coming up? Any projects, any events or talk about your podcast again? Self-promotion? Boy, do I. Um, no, <laughs> one of the uh, burlesque projects I've been involved in for years and years is a uh, the world's first and only all Weird Al burlesque troupe. Whoa. So we only performed a Weird Al music. And <laughs> look on Greg's face. Uh, wow. <laughs> you guys so, have actually met Weird Al, right? Oh, yeah. 
yeah. several yeah. times. <laughs> and and every time I meet him, I say, I'm in your burlesque troupe. Oh, it's you. Okay. And he looks at me like, oh, my God, what? <laughs> so that that troupe is called Titan Nerdy. And uh, oh. <laughs> we've been together for 10 years. Wow. And, uh, Happy wow. anniversary. Yeah, thank you. Uh, six years of that, we, we were followed by a documentary film crew. And so uh, there is currently a film being edited together about our troupe and about our touring and about middle-aged women who take their clothes off to Weird Al. <laughs> uh, it's called Show Gals. Show Gals. Get it? Al. Uh, Show Gals the Movie. So go to showgalsthemovie.com. Show showgalsthemovie.com like uh are you performing are you doing any live performances that we can go to or go see of with showgals or titan nerdy when the movie comes out we probably will sort of get the band back together and um do some shows we honestly we haven't performed since right before the pandemic a lot of things stopped right right at the pandemic (laughs) so uh we haven't really had the need to get back together and do that and go on tour and everything. But when I think when the documentary comes out, we will definitely be more motivated to get out there and spread the word. And, and your podcast. Tell us about your podcast again. Um, I have two podcasts. So uh, Speak Easily versus the 80s. Uh, Big fan. Yeah. You know, Corey's been on a few episodes. I'll just say that. Uh, so we, we kind of, um, talk about the movies from the eighties that really captured our imagination at the time. So we were like kids and we were watching HBO and, you know, Beastmaster was on 8,000 times, you know, so like, we'll, we'll talk about a different movie with a different guest each episode and, uh, they're always classics. Um, and then Retrophilia is a podcast I do with Raymond Wiley, who is a podcast pioneer. I was listening to him. Um, probably like 18 years ago on a podcast called Out There Radio. And uh, so it was kind of amazing to meet my hero and talk with him on the internet. And uh, eventually we came up with this idea for a podcast about the 90s retrophilia. And it's not sort of like, hey, slap bracelets, you know, like it's, <laughs> it, it's more of looking into patterns in the culture that still affect us today. Uh, we, we've done like alt comedy as as a genre and talk about you know um movies music politics all the things and you are the three-time and reigning ms noir city you are on the posters they've been colorized these posters have been colorized as revealed <laughs> here true. today and we and, were in uh, black and white at the time i don't know yeah, what the problem is. <laughs> <laughs> so noir city hollywood is happening from august 4th through the 13th at the arrow theater at 1328 Montana Avenue in Santa Monica. Go to noircity.com for more info. Be there. You'll see her poster right there up in lights. She she has she is the reigning Ms. Noir City. Three times she is the Ric Flair of Ms. Noir City. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and so that wraps up our beatnik episode. We're going to keep things jazzy in August with All Night Long, a jazz-soaked retelling of Shakespeare's Othello with the talents of Charles Mingus on bass, Dave Brubeck on piano, and Patrick McGowan from The Prisoner on drums. Yeah, you heard that right. <laughs> what? Wow, I'm excited. Yeah, yeah. All this, plus Elvis is back in King Creole. 
a New Orleans noir from Casablanca director Michael Curtiz. We're just trying to stay cool here in this long, hot summer, and you can stick that in your pen and vape it. All right here on Old Movies for Young Stoners.